SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Hey, everybody. Welcome to this hour of Football Full Circle. It's the college hour of Football Full Circle, and we've had quite a week. I'm joined by co-host of College Football Today right here on The Grid, Joe Lisi. And Joe, um, it's been it's been a week. It's been a week. We're going to have to go over everything here in a minute, but uh, give me your initial thoughts on uh, how stunned you were by all of this. Well, this was like a heavyweight title fight, Mike, almost like MMA uh, to boot. I mean, we had fireworks in the first half of the week with the Big Ten and the Pac-12 canceling. And then the other uh, news coming out later in the week with the SEC, Big Ten and ACC forging ahead, at least for this week in terms of a, a 2020 season. So we'll see what the last couple of weeks of August uh, have in the cards. But uh, I've never seen the news that broke this week in college football. I've been covering the game uh, for a long time now, and this was one of the worst weeks that I've seen since I've covered the sport. Social media related to college football was a dark, dark place this week. It just was. People were depressed. People were really angry. People were really ticked off at sports writers. They felt like we're rooting for this when the sports writers are just reporting on things as they're going. But to your point about it being a title fight, it was Monday we heard that Big Ten, Pac-12 might shut it down. All through the day on Monday, it was like, all right, they're doing meetings. They're going to move conferences. We're going to realign. We're going to get, maybe it's not going to happen. And then sure enough, the Big Ten uh, was the first major conference to go through it. Obviously, the MAC had decided uh, to move away from a fall season, uh, hopefully playing in the spring. But Uh, Quote here from Morton Shapiro, the chair of the Big Ten Council of Presidents, Chancellors and Northwestern University president. Our primary responsibility is to make the best possible decisions in the interest of our students, faculty and staff, the mental and physical health and welfare of our students. There's a new quote, mental and health, mental and physical health and welfare of our student athletes has been at the center of every decision we have made regarding the ability to proceed forward. That's from Big Ten Commissioner Kevin Warren. As time progressed and after hours of discussion with our Big Ten Task Force for Emerging Infectious Diseases and the Big Ten Sports Medicine Committee, it became abundantly clear that there was too much uncertainty regarding potential medical risks to allow our student athletes to compete this fall. Well said, but that's where we're at, Joe. Uh, We're going to have, by the way, uh, not to bury the lead, we're going to have Aaron Torres from Fox Sports on a little bit later this hour to discuss all of this with a focus on the Big Ten. But we've talked about it a lot. I'll say this. My reaction is that I was totally stunned that they a, a Power Five conference is not going through with the season. I knew it was a possibility. You and I have talked for months about how I thought college football really was in the crosshairs. I think there are unique challenges to college football. The number of teams the campus life that proposed risks that the other sports don't have. But I still thought, based on schedules being released, based on the protocols that were put in place, based on the fact that while MLB really stubbed their toe out of the gate, it was sort of 
nipped in the bud by most of the other teams. The Cardinals and the Marlins were a mess for a period of time, but the Marlins are back playing. Cardinals still aren't. And I just thought that they served as a cautionary tale that, look, we're going to have to bubble up or at least not be in regular student body contact in order to make this going forward. And to call it on August 11th was really what surprised me. I think the two biggest takeaways for me, Mike, was that there was not one uniform voice. We have the Power Five conferences acting independently of each other. You heard the Big Ten in terms of their specific task force. We heard about the Pac-12 and their specific doctors. And then we heard the other three conferences give completely a different scenario or, I want to say, recommendation. So that's where we differ. And that, that was, I guess, the glaring aspect about why wasn't the NCAA, you know, really involved in these discussions in terms of putting their doctors and putting all, everyone on the same page? Why couldn't the Pac-12 and the Big Ten say, you know what, we're all going to get with each other, meaning all power five conferences, we all take partake in the college football playoff, and let's have a uniform decision that we're not going to make a decision until, let's say, September 1st. Why they had to jump the gun before, you know, anyone else, I think it was because of they didn't want to take on the liability. When the MAC did it, the MAC had ties to the Big Ten, and that was specifically why I think the Big, Tw the Big Ten and the Pac-12 acted that way. And then secondly was the other factor. We have conflicting views. Pro, high school, those players are playing contact football, so why can't college athletes? And there's another debate that we're going to have to see how that plays out. I'll be the first one. He's too easy of a punching bag at this point for me to jump on Mark Emmert. I will say, regarding this decision, I don't think Power 5 schools care what he has to say. And I certainly don't think that the university presidents of Power 5 schools have any interest in what Mark Emmert has to say. So in terms of being a unified voice from the NCAA, I, just, I personally don't think that's realistic. I know what you're saying. It would be great to have a unified voice, but Mark Emmert doesn't have the the cachet or the power, frankly, to be able to do that. Uh, we'll, we will we'll continue to talk about this as we welcome in our radio audience here for this final minute. We'll continue to talk about it through the next couple of segments. But I think you did bring up a good point. First of all, I, I, don't, I, don't, I can't answer for why high schools are playing and the colleges aren't. I think so, a lot of state high school association, sports associations are going to fold for the fall seasons. I think that will continue to happen. Some of them haven't made the call yet. Some still have a little bit of time. Um, I think liability is, is a big factor. I'll, I'll list my three major components of why I think this decision was made in terms of the Big Ten, bring the Pac-12 into the mix after this because they had a similar statement, but they're also dealing with other issues that I think play into this as well. So a lot to talk about on this topic with Mike and Joe Lisi this hour college football college football on football full circle we'll be right back after this sportsgrid.com betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24 7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering real-time odds predictive betting models expert picks and more want the edge then get on the grid sportsgrid.com Back on the grid, uh, Joe Lisi, you can find him on Twitter, at the 2 You can find me on Twitter, at Mike Fluitt. Find us all on Twitter, at SportsGrid, and on Instagram, at SportsGridTV. So, 
PAC-12. Let me get to their statement first, and then I'll, I'll get uh, through it. So, uh, quote, all of the PAC-12 presidents and chancellors understand the importance of this decision and the disappointment it will create for our student athletes, the coaches, support staff, and all of our fans, said Michael H. Schill, president of the University of Oregon. Ultimately, our decision was guided by science, a deep commitment to the health and welfare of our student athletes. We certainly hope that the Pac-12 will be able to return to competition in the new year. So the health, another quote from Pac-12 Commissioner Larry Scott, the health, safety, and well-being of our student athletes and all those connected to Pac-12 sports has been our number one priority since the start of this current crisis. So here's what I think. I think it's good that they said that. I think if that were the case, that would be ideal. I, I just, you and I followed this sport for a really long time. And I think we're always going to be skeptical to some extent. I think in the end, if they've protected the health of some athletes, then that ends up being a good reason to have made the decision. But I think you and I both know a lot of this decision was based out of fear. One, they are scared of the liability, which frankly, they should be scared of that liability. We, we have never on this show, and you and I differ to some extent as to whether they should or should not play. But I've never thought it was about mass amounts of players getting COVID, having to go to ICUs, suffering, uh, you know, full teams filled with a COVID outbreak. I think that could happen, but that hasn't been my biggest concern. Um, uh, my concern is that it is one kid, or the, the university president's concern is about one kid potentially getting really sick, or one player getting to the point where he suffered long-term heart damage uh, from this virus, which he could from other viruses too, we understand that. But I think that's the concern. And for a university president to have to deal with that level of liability is just something, frankly, that he's too afraid of. I'll get to my other two points after that, but I'll let you comment. Yeah, I understand. I know where the university presidents are going, but here's my take. If a state allows you to play the sport of either high school, college, or pro football, and they ask for specific protocols to make that happen, and the school implements those protocols and goes by the book A, B, and C, what's the problem in terms of liability? Is it any different than a football player becoming paralyzed? I mean, we know that there's risks in the game. I mean, who's to say that a football player doesn't get sick from a, a disease outside of COVID that we're not aware of? There's always going to be liability. And I think that that's what it comes down to, the risk-reward. It's always going to be there when you play sports. Now, I get what you're saying, but if the state allows that to happen, it would be one thing if the state says we're not allowing any collegiate high school or professional sports. I get it, then you're going against the decision of the state. But if you're implementing all of the protocols, like Alabama said, uh, some of these schools have said they have elite testing and elite medical staffs that these kids are not gonna have anywhere else. They're gonna be monitored on a daily basis, tested two and three times a week. How much more do we need to go? Because these kids are still going to be on campus going to school, most of them, and we have no idea where they're going to go. Well, I, I still think that I think we can I can dispel that a little bit. I think these players are still going to be locked into their program. There's not going to be any games, but I think they're going to be locked into going to the weight room, to going to classes, meeting with the football, preparing for spring uh, as is. I know it's not 
quite the same, but I think they'll be locked in in that way. There's some evidence that some programs will continue to do that. The guys are going to be on scholarship and, and everything else. So I, I'm less concerned about that. Uh, the, the second point I was going to make, Joe, and, and I, you're technically right about there being liability concerning other issues, but I think all football players at this point have accepted the known risk of CTE, the known risk of paralyzation. What's uh, Eric's name from Rutgers? Great. Eric Legrand, right. Um, it's a sad story. I've met him. He's an unbelievable guy. And uh, it's a sad situation. A rarity, but players deal with other debilitating injuries for, throughout their life, too, which aren't necessarily as severe as paralyzation, right? So, but we are dealing still with some unknown regarding this. And I think that's why this liability is significantly different. Now, we are going to next week, uh, next week's show, hopefully get an attorney in here to talk about some uh, some issues related to liability and the forming of a players association, which brings me to my next point. I think this isn't just about this. I think there are two other issues that are at play. One, for some of the schools, which is most of them, that are cash poor, not having fans in the stadium really hurts their bottom line in a way that is being underplayed to some extent. Putting on games uh, it comes with a certain cost, and I think not having fans in the stadium uh, can be costly. They're just not selling tickets right now. I think punting on the season is something that they thought about being able to do. Now, do I think there are going to be fans full in stadiums in spring? No, I don't think that at all, but uh, it's a factor. And the third factor is what we were just talking about in terms of a players association. And let me get to this. I'll read this statement. Pac-12's player unity group released a statement earlier this week in response to the conference's postponement. Quote, it is obvious that the Pac-12 was woefully unprepared to protect college athlete safety in response to COVID-19 and could not address the basic and essential safety demands made by hashtag we are united. The Pac-12's failures have made it clear that the time for change is now. The system is broken. College athletes deserve and need a real voice in the form of a players association. They can't form a union because it's technically a nonprofit, so it'll be an association. But, Joe, I think this is number three on my list and a reason why they are sort of trying to circle the wagons, figure out how they can prepare for this. We've gone over name, image, and likeness litigation. That is fallen in the player's favor, and now we have something like this. I don't think they're prepared for this all to come crashing down and the system to be broken, and I think they're trying to put it on pause until they figure it out. At least some, it is some level of motivation. Are they employees? I think that's the biggest question. You know, are they, if they're employees, then you have to treat them as such in, in terms of pay. So that would be a big question in terms of this whole scenario that plays out with COVID. The other, the other question that I'd like to propose, too, in terms of what you broke down, Mike, was I understand that the, the kids are going to practice and still be a part of their programs. I mean, Wisconsin's going to have 20 hours a week of practice. So what, what do we separate if, if a kid gets sick from COVID or test positive in practice? Is it any different than getting sick in the game? So where's the liability? It's the same type of liability, whether he gets sick at practice or whether he gets sick in a game. So uh, it's a I, totally I, fair question. Exactly. So that's my first point. The other uh, point that I want to make about Kevin Warren, the Big Ten commissioner, his son is a tight end on Mississippi State's team. He's so concerned, but his ton son is not backing out or opting out in terms of playing in the SEC. 
I mean, you have a lot of contradicting statements and a lot of hypocrisy, and that's why not only members within their own teams in terms of the Big Ten are upset, but you have fans upset as well. And when you talk about the repercussions, Nebraska, the city of Lincoln, is going to lose $300 million for no games this year. Think about that to the local economy. Yeah, Wisconsin has talked about that too. Um, $100 million loss by not playing football uh, just to the school itself. So, look, I've tried to be in the middle on this. I've tried to look at it from both perspectives. I I do find it odd that some conferences are playing and some are not. Currently, we have 76 teams, although that could drop by the time even this airs, recording it a little bit before it airs. But uh, so that's a possibility, right? It could be down from there. Conference USA hasn't made their call yet. And we obviously have three of the uh, power five. So I don't think it's a bad decision that they decided to not play. I thought they were going to give it a little bit more time um, what what is hard for me to reconcile is I, I have doctors on one side saying this isn't a good idea, and then I have doctors on the side of the ACC and SEC that are saying go full, we can move forward because uh, we are well prepared to handle this. There are components of the college life that I think make the infection of players unavoidable. Uh, I don't think they're going to bubble up like they maybe should, but we'll come back, talk a little bit more about this. Complicated topic, obviously. Joe and I will be right back on the grid after this. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Back on the grid, talking college football. Uh, we've got Aaron Torres coming up in the next segment. Uh, excited to hear about his thoughts on the Big Ten and Pac-12 shutting down. He's out in L.A., so he'll give us perspective on Pac-12. Had to film the uh, interview with him a couple of days early just based on um, availability. But uh, nonetheless, Aaron is going to be on with us, and uh, you'll you'll get a kick out of uh, what he had to say. So, um so here, here's, I'm probably more of the let's be cautious with this thing, right? I, I've really been in the middle on it because I know there isn't a sweet spot, perfect answer, Joe, to saying this is the amount, this is the date we should have started, this is when quarantine should have ended, uh, this is how many people you can have in a restaurant. These are all sort of unknowns, right? I don't pretend to know. I think it's why people are being cautious is because it's unknown. And obviously many, many, many thousands of people have died from this. But what gets difficult about conversations like this is you have the Big Ten and Pac-12 epidemiologists, infectious disease experts telling them we can't move forward. And then you have something like this with the ACC. Dr. Cameron Wolf, who is the chair of the ACC Medical Advisory Group, believes a fall season can be played safely. Uh, article by Andrea Adelson, the ESPN senior writer of college football. So he says it can be played safely, which is one of the biggest reasons the league remains on course to start in September. So he's a Duke infectious disease expert. It's a private school. They are not a football powerhouse. There are many things that you could say to say, you know what? He is not really motivated to do this. And by the way, this report was via the Sports Business Daily. Um, So they've learned just enough over the past six months, he feels like, 
that they can contain this. I know you've been saying that sort of all along. All of these other uh, sports, high school sports, are playing, and yet uh, we're canceling at the major D1 college football level. Yeah, and, and it comes down to lawsuits, and it comes down to, like, the, the worst-case scenario, Mike, where what if? It's the what if. And the what if, I understand from the health aspect, but the what if, if we're sitting here, let's say, next fall, and there is no change. We have no vaccine. We have no new data. It's status quo. What do we do then? Is it just because now it's not as new as it was last year, meaning three months ago? Is, it, is that the difference between 2021 and 2020 playing college football? Because, you know, a year has gone by and now we're used to it. We understand we're living with it or because it is a new disease. That's the biggest question, because from an economic standpoint, if we wait until next year, some of these programs aren't going to be here. Now, yes, Nebraska and Ohio State will be there, Michigan and Penn State, but some of these other programs out of the group of five are not going to be here the way they were. There's going to be a loss of jobs, economy, and that's something else that we have to take into account. And the other factor as well is if they can do it at the high school level, they can certainly do it at the collegiate level. These are elite medical staffs. You just mentioned Duke. There's other great staffs that are putting processes and protocols in place so that certain testing is done. And more importantly, these players are protected. So if the state says you can do it, what is the issue really comes down to the biggest question. So Wolf has also told Commissioner John Swafford and league athletic directors that there is no way to cut the risk to zero and that they have to be comfortable with some level of risk tolerance. Quote, you can't tell me that running onto a football field is supposed to be a zero risk environment. Look at all the regular sporting injuries that we accept as a certain level of risk and are part and parcel of football. Now the reality is that we have to accept a little bit of COVID risk to be a part of that. So that's probably in line with what uh, you, your thought process is, what your thought process is. Um, one specific area of concern, as this article states, is myocarditis, a condition that causes inflammation of the heart muscle that could be linked with the coronavirus, is what we've been referring to all along. Eddie Rodriguez of the Boston Red Sox is thought to have uh, this condition now, and it's why his season was shut down. Um, this can, this uh, condition can be caused by other viral infections as well. H1N1, influenza, mononucleosis, so it isn't alone in causing that condition. But to your point about, well, what if we're here a year from now and we don't have a vaccine or it hasn't been rolled out and or it's ineffective or it's got other side effects that they don't feel comfortable administering it anymore? I would say that that's the reason we wait is so that we find out we, we have a year. It is 2020. We have scientists working around the clock to try and help us with this from a therapeutic standpoint, which we've obviously seen the impact of the medical community in New York, New Jersey, and the losses that they suffered, I would assume that the therapeutics that they were able to administer to some people that improved conditions are being shared with states like Arizona and Texas and Florida and California that are currently undergoing COVID spikes. So I would say that you do wait the time in order to learn more, in order to proceed with uh, a little bit more or a lot more information. That, that's what I would say to a year from now, if we don't have a vaccine, we'll say, well, uh, we still can't play because we learned all this stuff. Or we'll say, well, now we know we can play because 
there, there's a very few people that are coming down with myocarditis, or we do have a vaccine that's going to help uh, 50% of the population like the flu vaccine does now, which by the way, I got the flu shot. I get it every year because I have little kids. I got the flu shot this year and got the flu. So that's <laughs> it's probably going to happen with COVID as well. This vaccine isn't necessarily going to be about eradicating the virus. No, but the people that are saying that, Mike, are in a position of strength, right? New York, New Jersey, major media markets, major economic markets. Some of these other areas in parts of the country are, are at a position of weakness. I think that's the other concern. Now, here's the other factor as well. For, take sports out of it. If kids are on campus and they contract COVID and they have, let's say, a factor or an underlying cause uh, that li allows them to get the health and heart issues, it's not going to change whether they play football or not. And that I is true. That's, that's the other factor that we need to take into account. This is not just a football uh, a, a conversation or debate. This is a student debate because the school presidents still have to worry about the other 35,000 kids on campus. And if one of those kids come down with a health issue or an underlying heart condition due to COVID, guess what? They're going to be sued just as much as the football player is going to sue them. So then what is the situation in that type of scenario? Because to me, I don't see it. I, I think it's fair to raise that question, but I think all students are assuming some level of risk of going back on campus. A friend of mine is driving his son uh, to the University of South Carolina. That's gonna be full in-person classes. They're starting a little early, attempting to have all the students out by Thanksgiving and doing finals or and the last part of the semester virtually so as to try to avoid cold and flu season. Uh, I think they're not alone in doing that. I believe Notre Dame and others have followed suit as well. So I do understand that. I think what I've always been concerned about with players is obviously football brings a level of risk to it amongst all things, but just related to this virus, injuries and everything else, just related to this virus. We know that the on-field stuff is riskier, right? They're constantly sweating on each other. They bleed on each other. It's, you know, all the gross stuff at, at the bottom of a pile that happens. It could obviously lead to transmission of a virus. That's never really been my biggest concern. It's really about fraternizing on the sidelines when you've got your helmets off, which will probably be modified this year to wearing masks potentially under the helmets, or at least when you come off the field, putting a mask on all the locker room stuff that occurs. We saw hard knocks earlier this week. They're doing everything they can with the Rams and the Chargers to keep people distant. But at the end of the day, like people are like, ah, these baseball players are getting too close to one another. I'm like, what are you going to do? They're baseball players. They're going to high five and hug and uh, fist bump and all that kind of stuff. I think that's just going to happen. Let alone, I've been to college. I know what it's like there. They're not going to stay in their dorms. They're not going to do it. And I'm not killing them for it. I, I'm not. But they're no, not going to do it. You can't kill them. But but it's a matter of the lifestyle, right? So they're going to do it anyway. And here's the argument. You mentioned your, your friend's uh, son or daughter that's going to campus. They're not going to be tested nearly half as much as these football players two and three times a week. So we're, we're really going to be on top of them in terms of monitoring not just COVID, their heart condition and heart rate, their blood pressure, other factors that possibly can lead to, you know, bacterial infections. So, I mean, and that's the other thing as well. When we talk about these other Power Five conferences, the ACC, Big 12, and SEC, 
The SEC college football is their brand. If they're going to find a way to do it, they're going to find the best way possible to get around and get through this COVID situation. And I think that's why you give them the benefit of the doubt. Yes, but if I'm playing devil's advocate on the other side, by the way, there are schools like Duke that are not sending all their students back to campus. Duke is only freshmen and sophomores this semester. I think they're going to switch to juniors and seniors for the spring semester. Um, The obvious argument on the other side, which isn't unreasonable, is that I get that you're testing these guys and you're doing everything you can to try to keep them healthy. But ultimately, you may fail and you will have done it for college football television money, which is really at the very heart of all of this. I get the college experience and those players, and they work their asses off and all that kind of stuff. But there are people that are making a reasonable point, Joe, in saying you're doing all of this for college football money when maybe they shouldn't be around each other at all. But that, that I'm just trying to play a devil's advocate there. It's always about the money, Mike. Follow the money. Yeah. That's a great point, but it's in not just in football and athletics. It's in a way of life, right? And that's not going to change tomorrow or this college football season. Yeah, uh, I think that's true. As far as the last point uh, I would make here, uh, viability of the spring season, I just don't know. We've talked about it a whole bunch. There's new plans coming out. I'm as skeptical of that as anything in all of this. I don't want them playing two seasons in 21. I just don't show no, me neither. I, I think it's going to be too much. And from a, a fan perspective, we're going to get a less uh, in terms of a product on the field. I don't want to see that. The players will do it. You've got to save them from themselves sometimes. That's probably really the whole point of all of this discussion. So uh, Aaron Torres next. And then Joe and I will wrap it up at the end. Be right back on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Everybody, welcome back to the grid. We're joined here by uh, Aaron Torres. You can find Aaron on Twitter at Aaron underscore Torres. He's a college football and college hoops writer and host of the uh, host of a podcast, the Aaron Torres podcast. And he has been really outspoken about some of the things that we've discussed earlier in this hour on uh, Pro Football Today. So, Aaron, first of all, thanks for joining us. We appreciate it. And what's been a really hectic week. Yeah, fellas, no, it's no problem at all. I'm very excited. I'm obviously very passionate. Don't know where you guys stand, but obviously it's a surreal moment in time for everybody. And, you know, if we had, uh, if you had ever imagined, if any of us had ever imagined in March when we had to cancel the basketball tournament, that now we'd be canceling football games. It's just a surreal time. It really is. Yeah, so I'll start out with that, and then Joe and I will pass it back and forth. How surprised were you? that they decided to shut it down because that's when people are asking me this question, that that's really what jumps out to me is I was completely surprised. So scale of one to 10, how surprised were you? 
You know, I, the, the season itself, not as surprised as just the timing of it all. I mean, I think we really have to go back, guys. It's only Thursday here. Last Wednesday, the Big Ten came out with this schedule. They trumpeted it out proudly. September 5th, we're going to start. We're playing conference only. We're finishing our season December 6th and playing the Big Ten championship game. And so to go from that to even just the rumblings on Saturday that there was a thought of potentially postponing, or the, I guess the rumblings Saturday were they, were they weren't going to proceed forward with padded practices to where we are now to all the stuff from the weekend to actually canceling on Tuesday. Uh, it was shocking. It was shocking that they moved that quickly. It was shocking that they moved that decisively. Uh, I still believe that they had time. I still believe that there were other steps they could have have taken to ease in the possibility of, of figuring out if it was realistic to play or not, but to put the players through all the protocols that they did since the middle of June when they brought them back to campus only to pull the plug uh, without even uh, attempting a single practice, I thought was pretty disgusting to be perfectly honest. Aaron, I, I agree with you hundred percent and, you know, feel the same exact way in terms of your sentiments about the big 10. The biggest question I have is, they came out and they made a statement about the heart issues for these players. And now they're allowing them to practice 20 hours per week. So if you could explain to me, because I can't, I'm not a doctor, what the difference is on campus practicing and then playing a game under those conditions, it seems contradictory in my opinion. Joe, that's, that's what the frustration is from everybody is that everything that they've done is contradictory. And I mean, you know, listen, they came out and said, oh, it's about the safety of the players. Meanwhile, as I've been saying since the weekend when these rumblings first started, 13 of the 14 Big Ten campuses are having in-person classes this fall. Uh, the only one that isn't is Rutgers. The rest of them are having some variation. Now, I will say in defense of some of the schools, everybody's a little different. Some of them are a 50-50 hybrid. Iowa is not having classes more than 49 students. And so when you say it's about player safety, but then to your point, Joe, you're still letting them hang out around the facility. You're still letting them practice. They're still going to classes online. And, oh, by the way, it's about safety, but, but – but we're going to play games in the spring and then immediately transition into summer workouts and play again next fall. Uh, it sounds contradictory because it is contradictory. And it's funny, you know, I've been asked every angle of this throughout the weekend or throughout the week, excuse me. And one of the questions I've gotten, which might be the best one is, would the public sentiment be any different if they had just come out and been honest and said, it's about liability. We can't have one of these guys suing us 10 years down the road. I think it would have, um, I don't know if, any outcome that ends in canceling the season in August would have been well received, but at least it would have been a little bit better than this. It's about the player safety. We're worried about them. It's not, it is. And that's the bottom line. And you hate to see uh, so many lives of these kids, coaches, everybody uh, being impacted the way that they were. Yeah. And I, I think I'll agree on this. Absolutely. On this one point, I think the three of us are skeptical of the actual motivating reasons for this to get kicked into the spring, kicking the can down the road, especially when we're talking about potentially playing two football seasons, even if one is truncated inside of a calendar year, which 2021 would bring. I don't know what the right number is. I just know that playing two football seasons feels like to me could lead to a lot of unnecessary 
injuries in your desperation to try to get games on TV. So where do you lie the blame? If there is any, where do you lie the blame in this playing out the way it did in either the you're out in LA. So uh, whether it's the PAC 12 or big 10 perspective uh, that you were outspoken about as well, do you lie the blame at anybody's feet in particular? Well, you know, the Pac-12, guys, I was kind of telling you off air, it is a little bit different. Um, there's a lot of campuses, including the two in the city that I live, UCLA and USC, that are not going to be open for fall classes. Um, and also, what's important with the Pac-12 is these California schools, the facilities aren't, uh, you know, gyms aren't open, so the facilities aren't allowed to be open. So players haven't had a chance to really work out in the traditional sense. And I think that there were some logistical issues that the Pac-12 had that other conferences didn't. Um, with the Big Ten, I don't. They didn't have the the issues that the Pac-12 did. All their students had been on campus working out since June. They don't have the funding issues like my alma mater, UConn, like the MAC, like the Mountain West, that those schools simply can't afford to test at the rate that you need to to keep players safe. So when you ask uh, who, who is to blame here, Mike, to me, it is in fact these school presidents, not because they canceled the season. But to bring the players back in June, to ask your you know, athletic administration, your uh, doctors to, to put protocols into place so these guys can be safe to get back to campus, to take classes on campus, even if most of them were online, to work out in the facilities, to live in the dorms, and then to pull the plug on all of that before we even attempted padded practice is disgusting. And, you know, this was the, the point that I've made throughout this week, and I've said it over and over. So if somebody's heard me this week, I apologize for saying it. Most people were not frustrated that the season was canceled. Most people were frustrated that the season was canceled in the manner that it was. If the concerns were that big from these school presidents from the beginning, they shouldn't have brought the players back to campus. They shouldn't have had them working out uh, the last two and a half months. Oh, by the way, they could have saved their schools a bunch of money on testing these guys once, twice a week during the summer. If you knew you weren't going to do this, you should have been transparent with us from the beginning. Um, and if you were going to give it an opportunity and bring the players back, then you have to see the opportunity through and at least let them get into pads, considering that the off-season workouts, the summer workouts, were mostly successful in terms of containing this virus. So again, to, to kind of overarch, that is the frustration of most people is the idea that you're going to bring these kids back for two months. You're going to put them through these insane protocols. They're going to live up to the protocols. They're going to do their part and then to pull the season without even seeing if it's at all possible to play. Aaron, when you just look at the landscape right now in terms of, you know, one season is bad enough, but there's the potential to have two seasons disrupted. We saw Jeff Brown come out with his 10, 10 or 8-game plan, but some SEC coaches said, do they expect us to adjust the 2021 schedule in that regard? There's always the potential that this could have a ripple effect where two seasons are affected and then we don't get back to normal until 2022. A hundred percent. And listen, that is part of why I think the SEC, ACC and Big 12 are moving forward. And I give those three conferences credit for right now, seeing if the fall is a possibility. Uh, well, no one, even Greg Sankey, the commissioner of the SEC, has ever said we will play. But I do think they are going to exhaust every option because of all the reasons that we're talking about with the Big Ten. 
the the reality that you'd have to play two seasons in the calendar year of 2021 if you push back to the spring. The reality that there's no – by the way, we haven't even talked about this, guys. What is the definitive proof that things are going to be safer or healthier in the, in the, in the winter going into the spring? We're praying for this vaccine that may be here, but there's no promise that it'll be here. And then all the other stuff that we've talked about over these last couple of weeks for the schools that over the last couple of minutes, excuse me, for the schools that aren't on campus, uh, sending these kids home to an environment where they will not be as safe, where they will not be as tested as much. For the students who are on campus, there are still the, the mental health issues, the, the, the health issues that go outside of football of what happens when you have the season pulled out from under you. And then there are the other variables as well. The, the point that you bring up, Joe, about the two seasons in one, how it impacts NFL draft, how it impacts high school recruiting, how it impacts scholarships. We all want players to be safe, okay? I have, I, guys, correct me if I'm wrong. I haven't heard one person yet say, "Screw the players, we got to get this season in." If I, if you guys have heard that, please send me that press clip or whatever, because I have not heard that. Everybody wants to do it safe. Everybody wants the players to be safe. But there are real, tangible reasons to try to get this thing in in 2020 for all the reasons that I just referenced. And most importantly, Joe, to kind of keep everybody on, on a semblance of a normal schedule in 2020 to allow all the things that happen in the offseason, whether it be recruiting, NFL draft prep, all that stuff. I don't think people are saying screw the players, but some people exactly. are, are more dismissive of its potential dangers than others. I think that's where a disconnect comes in. You know, I'm, I've sort of been sitting the fence on a, a lot of this. I, I think what the ACC and SEC are doing currently is reasonable. They do have medical yes. guidance. They're going forward. They haven't technically made a decision yet because they haven't had to. They haven't had to cancel anything yet. They've made some schedule adjustments. Uh, but there are people out there that are being dismissive of the dangers as well. I wanted to ask you a couple more questions before uh, we hit the break. And, and we, again, we appreciate Aaron Torres. You can find him on Twitter at Aaron underscore Torres. Go to the Aaron Torres podcast and listen to his thoughts there. But two-part question here. Uh, do you mind if it, this ends up being a truncated or heavily impacted season for those that continue? That's A. And B, what would it take for you to just say, you know what, they got to shut it down here. It's just getting out of control. Well, as far as if we get a truncated season, I would love it. Because one, I want everybody safe, but I would love for those three other conferences to rub the nose of the Big Ten in the dirt and say, you guys acted way too quickly. We wanted to be patient. You guys tried to strong arm us into playing uh, or into canceling, and it didn't work out. And I'll tell you this, if you, I was thinking about this this morning. If you're an Ohio State player, first of all, I think all the impactful players in the Big Ten and the Pac-12 are going to skip the spring season, are going to prep for the NFL, as they should. And I say that as somebody who loves college football. But imagine being an Ohio State player get, trying to get yourself fired up for a season when you see potentially Alabama and Clemson getting ready to play for a national championship after playing in the fall. So uh, I would love to see it happen. But look, to your point, uh, Mike, I, I don't think anything that I'm going to say in the next whatever couple minutes is unreasonable. I think that if, if, we, if students come back to campus, this virus we know will spread, if the rates go way up, 
if we start blocking and tackling and, and, you know, player upon player gets infected, I'm not talking about one or two. I'm not talking about something that's easy to control, but I'm talking about a big chunk of players. And I don't want to say a number and say, yeah, yeah. if it's, we got to keep pushing on. I think it just depends. Um, but, you know, I want to see – basically all I want to see, and I think all anyone in football, in college football, the coaches, the players, the parents want to see, what happens when we do start blocking and tackling and all the things that come with playing football? Is it possible? And then if it isn't, if all of a sudden players do start getting sick, even testing positive and are asymptomatic, I have no problem saying – Look, we had three practices and half our team came down with this. We can't do it. Let's push to the spring to the point we brought up earlier, whether it's realistic or not, let's hope for a vaccine. Um, but I would have no problem with it. And so my only issue all week was to do what they did, to put the players through what they did, and then to pull the rug out without even trying. We're going to find out in the coming weeks. This bubble is these college. So, yeah, hit break here. It's Aaron Torres and the Aaron Torres podcast, Fox Sports, college football. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Back on the grid, closing out this hour again with Joe Lisi, host here of College Football Today on the Grid. How about that Aaron Torres interview, Joe? He's fired up. Yeah, he was definitely fired up. I, I love what Aaron had to say about the Big Ten and the Pac, uh, Pac-12. And living in Pac-12 country, we get to see the West Coast sentiment. So great insight by Aaron. And I'm with him. I want to see a college football season in 2020. So the one thing we didn't talk about to, we've talked a bunch over the hour about the viability of a spring season. Um, what about fans being in attendance? I wanted to ask him if he thought there should be fans there. And what do you think of that? Well, I mean, the Big 12 is going to make a push. Uh, Texas, Texas Tech have already said 20, 25% respectively. I mean, some of the other programs like Oklahoma as well, they they claim that they're going to have 15 to 20,000 fans. So, We'll see how that situation plays out. The SEC is trying to get fans as well. I mean, if they can get fans in the stands and do it in the month of September and it goes through October, it's going it's to make the Big Ten and Pac-12 look bad, especially if they can continue the momentum for a full season. Yeah, and it creates this ugly undercurrent, right, where the Big Ten and Pac-12 aren't – they're not rooting for them to fail, but they know – it's to their detriment if everything goes off without a hitch, which I, I I don't expect. I think you'll have Marlins and Cardinals like MLB situations throughout. I think teams will have to lose games uh, off the schedule due to all this. I just wish they would all play the same amount of games. Yeah. This one's 11, this one's 10, the other one's 10. That doesn't really make sense to me. I know the ACC is doing it to try to keep some of these group of five teams uh, in the mix or to at least play a bunch of games, um, Conference USA teams as well. So um, 3,000 fans were at an MLS game earlier this week. I think you'd have to go mandatory mask, right, if you're going to be yeah. there. I yeah, just man, don't. But mask, getting in and out of the stadium to me is the riskiest part of the whole thing. You're, you're in close quarters with people when you're doing that. It is. Uh, if they do it in a systematic way or an approach with temperature te- checks, I think that's the best possible scenario for them. I, yeah. I really do. I think it's doable. But do they, they have to have those structured in place prior. 
So temperature check on the way in, masked up. That's how you would do it? Yep. Imagine getting pulled off the line. Oh, man. That's a bad day. It's a bad day for everybody in that area. So yeah. I don't know, folks. I, I really don't know how I feel about all of this. Um, I got uh, conflicting doc medical opinions. So I'm sort of at a loss and all that. But thank you to our guest, Aaron Torres. Uh, again, try to listen to his podcast. Thank you for joining. Thank him for joining us. On behalf of Joe Lisi, Brian Rakowski, and Mike Blewett, thanks for watching Football Full Circle. We'll see you next time on The Grid. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on The Grid. SportsGrid.com.